welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and good evening everyone I am Ritika Gupta assistant director <clears throat> at Impri Impact and Policy Research Institute Prabhavevam Niti Anusandhan Sansthan Nai Delhi extend my heartiest welcome to you all to Impri #thepolistalk today we are here for a special talk on critical evaluation of gender mainstreaming efforts by the state the speaker for today is Dr Vinitha B Thampi The talk is being organized by Center for Human Dignity and Development at Impri, along with Center for Development, Communication and Studies at, at Jaipur and Counterview, as part of the series "The State of Development Discourses: Hashtag Cohesive Development." I would now like to request Dr. Arjun Kumar, who is director at Impri, to introduce our eminent panelists and speakers for speaker further. Sir, over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ritika, and I, I welcome all of you. Uh, for this very important uh, discussion today under our series the state of development discourses hashtag cohesive development and the series is being moderated by professor sunil ray uh, so and the topic for today's discussion uh, is critical evaluation of gender mainstreaming efforts by the state and the speaker for today is dr vinita v thampi ma'am who is associate professor of development studies at department of humanities and social sciences at indian institute of technology madras uh, from chennai uh, welcome ma'am uh, for uh, other panelists of of this uh, discussion includes of course professor sunil ray who will chair this series uh, sir sir was earlier former director of an sinha institute at patna and sir is also advisor at cedex jaipur and also at impri delhi the Would the organization come together for for this uh, series? Uh, for discussions, we are also joined by Dr. Anamika Priyadarshini, ma'am, uh, who is a research lead at the Sakshama Initiative for What Works at Center for Catalyzing Change, also known as C3. Uh, we are also joined by Dr. Aditya Mohanpishal, who is assistant professor uh, in development studies at Central University of South Bihar. So, uh, welcome everyone. Uh, with that, now I invite Professor Sunil Ray to give his opening remarks and to invite our speaker, Dr. Vinita Thampi, ma'am, uh, to uh, give his uh, give her lecture. So, with that, <coughs> Professor Sunil Ray, over to you. Yeah. Ah. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Are you able to hear me? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Dr. Arjun. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to. Uh, Coordinate. I mean, uh, uh, to chair this session, and this is second the series, which I feel proud of that the fact that the series has been going on very well is being picked up quite well. Uh, but only thing that before the uh, presentation uh, by uh, Dr. Binita um, on critical evaluation of gender mainstreaming efforts of the state that begins. Let me remind uh, uh, remind Dr. Binita. and also the discussant uh, the background note which is being given by dr arjun kumar where he clearly explained what the objective of this forum is all about why is this particular series of this kind is being launched and let me tell you that is this it is he wants to and which i feel felt excited about he wants to make a difference 
between the presentations being made normally and here. The difference is that basically that you, you certain facts, figures, evidence are always being shared. Maybe any political, social, economic, geographic, any social science problem. But beyond that, it is expected in this forum, the presenter or the writer is capable of taking the audience, taking the people to a different level of abstraction, different level of understanding or kind of insights he or she is able to bring about. Otherwise, what happens, you know, you go on sharing the evidences. I am the observer. I am also going to add up and saying that, oh, this is, this is missing, that is missing, if you would have done this and that. But eventually at the end of the day, or end of, after the presentation is being done, is made, I ask the question, what are the insights? What is exactly going to take place? What is that you are trying to talk about? Here, what is called the question of paradigm comes. That means underlying theoretical construct has to be clearly explicit, has to be explicitly stated, has to be recognized. And if you really implicit paradigm, you be critical of, of development. For example, here, there could be many more evidences, as I presume, that you suggest that the gender mainstreaming efforts of the state is something which are certainly not adequate, not only inadequate, but also is faulty. And therefore, there is a criticism against the government, given the state machinery, as in the state intervention. Well, if that is the case, fine. But beyond that, what is the underlying paradigm of change? That is what is expected to be hinted at. Because finally, this uh, 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 what this institute and Dr. Arjun Kumar are going to do, compile them and bring out a kind of what is called a new, at least outlining a different kind of a development paradigm that you can think about and all that, based on all these observations, based on all the presentations. Therefore, one should be slightly careful, and this is also my uh, persuasion with the discussion, that what is missing in the presentation is something which one can always point out and dwell upon it. But then, that is not enough. And then, insights from Vinita's presentation, for example, Dr. Vinita's presentation, what are the insights coming up? And what are the, those insights can be able to, will be able to really uh, uh, seek for what's called or justify an alternative uh, perspective, development perspective. You know, that is what exactly alternative paradigm or alternative theoretical perspective is something which is very much necessary for us to search for. That is what the assignment Dr. Uh, 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 Dr. Arjun has given to us. And I think we should be able to really confirm because otherwise, you know, as I want to remind you, I will stop here. I want to remind you that let us not further allow us to be victim of the machine of reproduction of knowledge. We are reproducing knowledge here, here, everywhere, same thing. And if I go back home and then say, well, what is that extra thing that I've been able to learn? And really sincerely, if we think that in 90% cases, nothing. And we have been always becoming the victim of this kind of reproduction. Question is that now today for every one of us, shall we stop it? Where to go? Exactly, that is the question that is Dr. Arjun is asking. And therefore he is searching for so alternative paradigm of change or demystifying the extant development paradigm. The demystification of extant development paradigm is looking forward 
to say something, so say something more than what is to be done. Thank you so much with these brief words. Uh, I would like to uh, request Dr. Vinita to, uh, uh, to, to present uh, her thesis on this gender mainstreaming efforts. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you all, especially uh, the discussion also uh, uh, for joining this program. And of course, the other, the other participants who could be joining and we do not know much about them, but then I will be really welcoming their contributions uh, to this discourse. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. So, yes, Vikita, ma'am, would you like to yeah, screen share? Yeah. Go to the full view. Yes. In the slideshow. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Please go ahead, ma'am. Slides are visible, right? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Um, so, good afternoon. Um, let me thank the organizers of this event. Uh, Impact and Policy Research Institute and its director, Dr. Arjun Kumar, uh, the chair of today's uh, talk, uh, uh, Professor Sunil Ray and other uh, panelists. Uh, I'm very thankful to you all for uh, giving me this opportunity and I look forward for a very meaningful, engaging interaction after the presentation. Thank you all. Let me begin. Uh, I'm, um, this is a kind of uh, compilation of various studies, including that of mine at the end. I'll explain how I structured uh, today's presentation. One is, I think it's very important when we talk about uh, mainstreaming, the history and context of claim making, how it happened over time. Two, uh, the specific mainstreaming efforts globally that has been recognized, accepted as a result. Three, uh, locating this within the context of a particular state, Kerala, that I'm familiar with, I've been researching, and to take a critical evaluation of those mainstreaming efforts. This is how I structure my presentation. Yeah, the history is a history, sometimes boring. We all know this, but I'm quickly going through them. Uh, quite a lot of different uh, notions and understanding um, after the post, uh, after the World War Second period on development, but also, as we know, there's a very, very consolidation of the idea of development. Modernization theories were proposed which was by and large growth-oriented, uh, proposed growth-oriented uh, model of development. We know Rostov's uh, stages of economic growth, 1960 work. Uh, interestingly, the title of the book is uh, Stages of Economic Growth, a Non-Communist Manifesto. We'll have to think about why that title, because it was proposing another parallel, perhaps a good schema of change um, from uh, the traditional society to the age of high mass consumption. And it came from the history of primarily Europe and other locations. Expectation basically was uh, trickled down of the benefits of the economic growth. But uh, after the first two decades of development, 50s and 60s, there were uh, uh, unhappiness and uh, criticisms that hardly any major trickle down 
actually visible poverty is uh, 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 continuing malnutrition is there so what's happening became another uh, major concern so there was a kind of uh, critique of mainstream development late 60s early 70s came out from various corners as we know dependency theorists world system theories if you look at from the broader left uh, political spectrum um, because the criticism for them was from the long run development of capitalism and how unequal that was uh, also environmental uh, critique of development this kind of growth oriented mainstream development is bringing in major uh, environmental destruction um, that has to be addressed and it's very very unjust kind of it's producing very unjust a uh, kind of uh, uh, development and that's not humans are implicated within the larger nature and animals and the entire ecology is part of this development process various kinds of criticism and summarizing along with this women's question women's criticism absolutely against uh, mainstream development came out so the question basically was exclusion of women from development it started with that and i'm mapping the politics of claim making uh started with uh, perhaps uh women's role in economic development the work uh, the well cited uh, important work by esther bosrock in which she argued i'm again summarizing the whole discussion i'm summarizing and summaries have its own problems um you can uh, raise questions or uh, uh, add and uh, uh, explain later but uh, i'm providing uh, basic summaries in which she argued uh, she brought in a connection between density of population and agriculture technology uh, she argued that locations where density is less for instance africa it is sweden shifting cultivation whereas in asia south asia if you look at its plow cultivation and uh, she connected this difference uh, in agriculture technology to the kind of conjugality conjugal arrangement africa hence its polygamy uh, women are primarily engaged in uh, cultivation they took charge of uh, uh, farming whereas in asia where you find low cultivation women became the subsidiary producers they were supporting men by and large they had limited control over the uh, produce so she connected this difference with the status women status in these locations and argued how colonialism as a kind of practice very systematically either uh, pushed women out of agriculture or made them so they had no respect for female farming systems and they pushed women out of agriculture or uh, made them subsidiary farmers this is very illuminating precisely because of the fact that she demonstrated with evidence the process of modernization is not that favorable to women uh it's not including women in the process of production a very systematic exclusion is taking place as a result a new approach in the 70s women in development approach uh, 
came out, argued for the integration of women in the development process. And then all kinds of celebration, it received wider acceptance, 75 year for women, 75, 85, the decade. And the very first World uh, Women's Conference at 75 in Mexico City, it was very interesting for the reason that the question, basically they deliberated was what embodies women's issues. And very clearly the differences came out. First of all, talked about equity question, um, symbolic equity as well. Whereas the second world, the then USSR and uh, allies talked about increasing militarism and the need for war and militarism and the need for bringing in peace and peaceful coexistence. Third world, interestingly, talked about the question of development. This, uh, from this, there was a realization that women are not a uniform category. Differences are very visible, explicit. And from 50s to 70s, there was a welfare approach. If you look at in India, we had family planning program from 1970, uh, 1951. Uh, women were considered as passive recipients of uh, their uh, reproductive role was acknowledged. But 70s, uh, there is a shift from this welfare approach to equity approach. Um, because of all these uh, uh, grassroots uh, mobilizations. Clarity, clarity can also um, So the equity approach in which equal opportunities uh, and the rights of uh, women were highlighted. And we had National Commission for Equal Employment Opportunity and also discussed our failure to address sexism and sex-based advertisements, for instance, educational opportunities and uh, training that women require. So inclusion of women in various social and political forums was uh, highlighted. And we had uh, Equal Remuneration Act legislation in 1976. But 80s, the story again changed. Uh, there is a change from equity to efficiency in the 80s. And 80, the Copenhagen Review meeting of that decade, 75, 80, 85, three meetings they had. And in the Copenhagen uh, Review meeting, um, the primary concern was economic, global economic slowdown. <clears throat> and uh, stabilization and adjustment policies were uh, suggested during that time, cuts in welfare spending. As a result, the question became efficient development and realized women as a very crucial actors in, in this uh, changed uh, scenario because, their, because of their willingness to accept worse conditions of work and low wages. As a result, credit to women, um, Supplementary income generation programs, micro enterprises, etc., have been proposed. Many national governments, aid agencies, and NGOs focus on these interventions. An 85 Nairobi conference wrapping up that decade was again interesting, in which uh, Third World 
as not as a geography as a category not as just a location as a category recognized um women's needs from the third world are different particularly women in subsistence production if you look at also there were arguments that the poor women precisely because of their uh, relationship with the natural resources um they are actually creating kind of uh, Uh, damage to the environment that has been this is a question of uh, rights uh, livelihood uh, 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 right for a uh, livelihood so on and so forth so that has also been debated to uh, at greater length debt crisis was something uh, several countries undergoing apartheid in south africa so they were interestingly the 85 conference was basically talking about unequal global structures and institutions within which women are operating and uh, integrated that was uh, quite uh, distinct as a result also women and development approach came up from women in development to women and development um, the criticism at a conceptual level this was very useful Uh, analytically uh, because they argued well you argue for integrating women in employment but this integration is an is in a very very exploitative manner because two structures capitalism and patriarchy collaborate very effectively and you call it as capitalist patriarchy is is exploiting women in a much more deep manner also they talked about specificities of women's working lives they engage in market production biological reproduction and social <clears throat> reproduction and also hence there is a kind of multiplicity of tasks <coughs> labor time and this came from the this criticism came from global south for instance geetha sen from india was uh, her very famous article with lud beneria um 8283 paper so women and development provided a more critical view uh, on position of women um so and 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 hence it called for affirmative action by the state such as maternity benefits and other kinds of benefits for women because the market mechanism is actually worsening already existing inequalities and then the empowerment uh, paradigm of the late 80s early 90s it came from grassroots movements and their experience of mainstream development we had uh, sewa in Ahmedabad, Gujarat, Grameen Bank experiment, and similar, similar several several experiments. Also, by then, CEDAW uh, convention, convention against all forms of uh, convention on all forms of uh, discrimination against women, came into effect in 1981, uh, and it provided a comprehensive framework to combat gender inequality and recognizing that governments are responsible for not only putting appropriate laws in place but also to monitor the impact of them and 80s 90s late 80s 90s if you look at empowerment became very popular 
it was sort of uh, it it's imagined conceptualized as a process through which powerless gaining power and also they unpacked this power uh, box in which argued there is different levels and stages there is power two uh, in the sense uh, access and control over various kinds of resources including knowledge uh, and power with uh, meaning the kind of collectivities when women are together and negotiating with structures of patriarchy it's much more uh, effective and power within uh, is basically uh, internal transformation that uh, at the individual level and at the collective level women should uh, undergo invoking their agency and power over at times one group gaining power over another group perhaps a temporary stage so these were the kind of uh, conceptualization and also questioned the this questioned the notion of women as a universal category uh, it talked about uh, intersectionality because there are various structures of various access of social power caste class ethnicity so on and so forth they interact and produce certain kinds of advantages and disadvantages for different groups of women that we need to be attentive to also um, men and masculinity studies came up in which argument basically was that well why do you talk only about women uh, men this the structure is equally disadvantageous to men and you don't see that why is it that farmer uh, suicide by and large men are committing suicide they have different kinds of issues they their situation the way in which patriarchy treat them is also unfair so several uh, uh, studies um, demonstrating that discussing that also parallelly queer uh, mobilization lgbtq uh, uh, sexual minorities uh, sexual workers so on and so forth hence the terrain has significantly transformed and now i am uh, again summarizing the academic uh, uh, debates of these two and a half decades from 70s to mid 90s one is identifying male bias in social political and economic uh, uh, thinking and everyday actions rationalizations and theorizations which will have significant bearing on public policy making danielson's paper and even this male bias basically highlighting inequality and asymmetry which is ill founded and unjustified instead of judging biases against endowments and preferences judge it in terms of rights and capabilities was amartyasen's contribution rights in terms of land rights and access to inform informal sector employment so on and so forth various along with that socially conferred capabilities you should understand and also many biases intersect caste region urban racial ethnic all these biases intersect and impact of this in the public policy making is that the category 
production, such as farmers, workers, so on and so forth, is based on these biases that we are having. Also, they critic the household uh, model, neoclassical household model, and joint utility function, which is glued in the head of the household, despotic yet benevolent, has also been um, critiqued. Talked about cooperative conflict, the kind of bargaining that's taking place, and the weak uh, fallback position that women are having, and also recognize agency of women. Winner of one round, enhanced bargaining power for future, 87 Amatya Sen's work. They also looked at uh, caring work and uh, reproductive labor, also inequality in expenditure decisions and spending, expenditure decisions and spending decisions. Summarizing, the realization was that development process may perpetuate inequality and collective action is required. Now coming to the gender mainstreaming. Uh, gender mainstreaming as a strategy formally adopted at the 1995 4th World Conference on Women in Beijing and it illuminates gender as a central element of thinking and acting and recognizes its role in power relation and institutions. There is, sorry, there's an interesting study that I came across. Uh, Olena Handisky's 2005 paper, she's a political scientist in which she actually um, carried out a feminist analysis of gender mainstreaming exercise. A very constructive set of criticism. I'm not going into the details of this paper, but she argued for a difference mainstreaming. Is there are differences recognize and go for difference mainstreaming. Uh, broadly, the kind of mainstreaming policies uh, adopted were globally engendering macroeconomic uh, policies gender budgeting, gender-friendly taxation, so on and so forth, instituting quotas for women in governance, gender training to build awareness, so on and so forth. Um, but this is taking place in a context of competing and conflicting interests. Uh, because of the structural adjustment programs and other stabilization programs, there were uh, austerity measures. At the same time, you had human rights framework and more uh, consolidation of rights question and claim making. So in, this is happening in that kind of a global context. Now I am uh, talking about briefly the Kerala uh, mainstreaming efforts in the context of uh, Kerala, so that uh, I can, in the light of these uh, context and specific mainstreaming, I'll elaborate, explain how in Kerala this has happened, and set of uh, a couple of critical observations. So the gender mainstreaming um, efforts within uh, Decentralization campaigns. Kela has started it 
during the ninth plan period, it decided to uh, for massive decentralization, 30 to 35% of the state budget devolved to the local governments. Um, and they started a camping in which uh, gender mainstreaming was also con uh, considered. So this is partly due to the kind of feminist politics of claim making and questions around representation of women that was going on. And the feminist movement uh, uh, were active since 1980s. And it raised uh, various questions of discrimination against women in the workplace. Uh, the uh, sexual harassment uh, issues that they discussed, they've been taking up such uh, cases. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, also, there was a debate on the invisibility of women in public spaces and demarcation of uh, public spaces, gendered uh, demarcation. There was a kind of debate going on. Uh, also, I believe uh, the role of women writers, uh, several of them, uh, of body and sexuality also contributed to the debate. Literature is very, very powerful, especially to reach people and change their thinking. Also parallelly emergence of Dalit feminism and the question of uh, marginalization that they experience, kind of uh, challenging the uh, uh, caste, uh, raising the caste question also Together, they all questioned the hegemonic feminine and masculine conceptions. I would dare to call it as sort of a counterculture movement, very unpopular even among the so-called progressive left circles, yet it was visible. Um, and when you look at the empowerment, this is the context of Kerala. When you look at the empowerment paradigm of 90s, there is something called the emergence of, uh, because of this mainstreaming and formal recognition, there is this emergence of state feminism. Because state is becoming more feminist uh, or co-opting the feminist claims and demands. Uh, as <coughs> what happened basically was the kind of critical distance, much needed critical distance between the state and women's organizations reduced, I would say compromised. Uh, collaborators, and they became collaborators <coughs> of uh, several state initiatives, Mahila uh, Samakya, self-help groups program, Kudumbashri, Gender Park, and, and several institutions they involved, collaborated. Um, also, if you look at uh, specific mainstreaming efforts in the state where raising quotas at the PRIs to 50% on ground, if you look at more than 50, you know, 52, 53% are uh, women 
uh, head of the uh, village panchayats. Second, they organized self-help groups. The name of the program is Kudumbashri, and they linked it with the uh, Panjaitiraj, organically linked it with the Panjaitiraj institutions and instituted uh, a component plan, a specific component plan called Women Component Plan. 10% of the total outlay is set apart for women uh, in the sense exclusively uh, for women, women beneficiaries. Four massive gender training sessions were conducted and in, sorry, 2015, they formed to institutionalize all these efforts, they came up with Gender Park in 2015. Also announced the same year, transgender welfare policy. These are all part of the mainstreaming efforts. Now uh, to the criticism, if you look at, as we know quotas for women being heralded as an affirmative action instituted in the spirit of gender equality in political representation as we know, and they raised it to 50%. But studies have shown that most of the leaders, um, they had acquired knowledge and skills appropriate to elected office, but they had been unsuccessful in influencing change in their spheres of action, many of them and were also subjected to patriarchal domination by male members of their own political parties. Also, evaluation of the participation in local governance revealed that while they are competent in their role as managers of development programs, they far removed from local political institutions and association associated power. So induction into local governing institutions is not translating into accessing neither local political institutions or helping them to uh, get into higher levels of politics. So at the local level, hence, it seems to be a clear gender demarcation between governance and politics, governance for women, they're better managers, but the actual politics for men. And the self-improve program, if you look at, I'm not going into the details of the way in which this program has been designed, but this is a, a kind of three-tier confederated structure uh, devised to effectively address poverty, um, more than half of the households are enrolled in this program and they are linked with the uh, local self-governing institutions, maybe functioning as a state-supported civil society. And they get they do savings and credit like any self-help groups, also micro-enterprises. Um, so engaging with the sub-state, local government, if you look at, they undertake uh, the Kudumbashri projects funded by the local panchayats. They also engage in identifying uh, poverty, the survey that the government is doing. Also undertake MGNRGA work. Uh, but uh, evaluation studies have pointed out that 
there is group-based exclusion from this program of uh, laborers and women laborers and women from marginalized groups. Since this is a kind of formal anti-poverty program of the state, this exclusion has wider consequences. Uh, because uh, participation in these group exercise, group activities is mandated for accessing several of the benefits. And if you look at the impact on political agency, well, a new group of uh, women social activists came up, but also in a sense subsidizing an overstretched state most of the work that they do is uh, for uh, is voluntary and sometimes a minimal honorarium. So the wider consequences of this form of managing poverty is narrowing the anti-poverty agenda on the one hand and hiding the cost of women's engagement on the other. So this women component plan, if you look at 10% of funds exclusively set apart for women beneficiaries as a separate plan component, um, attempting to address both the practical and strategic gendered needs, they have to collectively identify locally specific gender needs. Uh, and that has to be an agenda for them. But scholars, Naila Kabir, uh, before uh, uh, Nancy, not Nancy Faltry, mm, scholars have pointed out that uh, particularly- Fraser? Nancy Fraser, maybe? Nancy Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy Fraser started it and Naila Kabir used it later. They talked about the politics of needs identification. Uh, thank you, by the way. Um, and uh, women are actually not acting as a political constituency on ground to articulate their needs. So that's a major uh, drawback. Uh, and several gender training programs. One of the key efforts towards empowerment has been the training workshops designed and implemented by the state level institutions like uh, Kerala Institute of Local Administration in collaboration with women's organizations for the elected uh, representatives in Panjait and other local governance institutions. See, the problem basically is that the underlying assumption of these efforts has been that transformation to a gender just society is possible in a very non-confrontational manner through gender training and the development of uh, individual skills as the principal tool of uh, transformation uh, and, and focus on this gender training on individual transformation in fact precludes the coming together of women as a group to build solidarity based on their shared experiences. It also assumes a very hierarchical uh, uh, relationship between trainer and trainee. I worked as a gender trainer uh, for some time uh, in the same institution. And it projects, you know, trainer as an embodiment of empowerment, insulated from the patriarchal power. And such a framework is not conducive for uh, mutual exchange and learning, as well as 
the kind of horizontal networking among women from diverse backgrounds and dispersed geographies, which is very vital for any process of collective empowerment. Um, so if you look at the training material, uh, you will understand that it is a very, very top-down pedagogy that they adopted, even though it is participatory. So now, uh, I'm not commenting on that uh, gender park and transgender welfare policy that they instituted recently. Nothing much came out. Uh, one has to wait and see. Um, so there is, now I'm wrapping up, rethinking state-led gender mainstreaming strategies. Um, these mainstreaming policies have tended to assume automatic transformation on ground and have not taken cognizance of how the interventions interact with existing power structures and relations. And also mainstreaming has to be difference mainstreaming like uh, Olena Havinsky argued, addressing the question of intersectionality. Um, also, there is a need to engage with changing feminist politics of the location uh, in the state of Kerala. And moving forward, hence, there are indications of reclaiming feminist politics uh, from the uh, state feminisms, uh, moving away from the shadow of state uh, feminism. Um, there were uh, kiss of love protests against uh, moral policing of the uh, right-wing group by a group of young men and women. Women in cinema collective, a group of uh, women in cinema, popular mainstream cinema, film, um, they uh, collectivized and they are voicing against anti-women attitudes in Malayalam film industry, very interesting and very influential. Um, also young feminist voices of resistance in social media from various corners. So you could actually see kind of uh, uh, very interesting uh, mobilizations and voices from the margin and from varied locations as well. So therefore a very careful interrogation of the state-led gender mainstreaming effort itself is required to make it responsive to the context in which it works need to forge broader platforms of solidarity is um, essential. I'm stopping here. Thank you for your attention. And I look forward to your questions and comments. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am, for a very elaborate and uh, I would say very extensive presentation. Uh, I would, I'm sure we'll have a, a very nice discussion uh, with that. So, Professor Sunil, would you like to start giving your comments? Professor Ray? I'll just check with sir. Uh, Anamika, ma'am, would you like to give your comments first? Please, I'll check with some connection issues. Yeah, I guess so. 
I really wanted to hear Professor Ray and then go, but anyway, um, thank you so much, Dr. Vinita. It was indeed a very, very interesting presentation. I really liked it. I especially liked it because you emphasized so much about contextualization and it was really great, good to see the way you started right from the Second World War and then talking about Bozarab and then going to the different frameworks of uh, gender and development or women in development and, and approaches of uh, mainstreaming gender. Um, I think um, I also liked it because, you know, uh, we, uh, I'm very sure, I mean, I could sense while you were presenting that uh, probably we are on the kind of same page. And you would, uh, you would agree with me that uh, uh, the mainstream mechanism is more interested in decontextualizing and ahistoricizing. I mean, if we look at departments like history or women's studies, especially in the West, um, the impact of this depoliticization or decontextualization or the uh, even a historicization is, is, is so devastating that in many schools, these departments are closing down. Women's studies are, I was a student of women's studies department back in 2006, I joined. And uh, by the time I graduated, it had become global gender studies. <laughs> so, because you know, the market is not looking for graduates from women's studies. So it has to be something more appealing and more, kind of interdisciplinary. But, but, but what I find scary, um, that I sense a disregard for history and even aversion for history. And uh, even within academia, especially in uh, you know interdisciplinary program like development studies, I know you are from development studies. I also have a master in international development, but, but you know that what is the context and what's the mainstream um, kind of, especially in policy studies. And sometimes I do feel that uh, uh, the experts and uh, even scholars and academics from these coming out of these schools are probably suffering from history deficit. I should not be saying that, but but your presentation really made me think about these questions, and I really thank you for um, for uh, uh, raising this. Uh, coming back to your uh, the main point of your presentation, uh, you uh, discussed about raising uh, the quota for reservation for women in local governing bodies. I work in Bihar. I'm from Bihar, and uh, uh, it happened to be the first state that uh, uh, announced 50% reservation for women in local governing bodies back in 2007. And uh, so we have more than 50% women in local governing bodies. And, and I know I don't buy this entire uh, idea of dummy representative or, or, or proxy representative. Yes, women were proxy representative, but then we need to question, what do you mean by dependent women? What do you mean by, by disempowered women? Is she needing her husband's support? Sorry. If she's needing her husband's support for commuting, that means she's dependent. But what about men leaders who are depending for entire all their household responsibilities on women. I mean, they can't cook their food, even even in the food, food needs to be served actually. I, I used to work with a, a feminist uh, social activist, well-known feminist, Vijay Shrinivasan. And she used to say that, Bihar mein paras te khilana kya hota? which means serve, right? like food is ready, but you can't serve yourself. Somebody has to come, the woman has to come and serve and then only you can eat. So this is the context and, um, and I'm not saying that things have not changed, things are changing. Um, and I, I mean, like, you know, feminist economist, economic historian like Nirmala Banerjee have been kind of emphasizing that uh, as the gender relations undergo revision in course of development or culture, gender norms do change and reproductive behavior also change. And these transitions, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure that it impacts the conscious of uh, men and women both. And we have seen that uh, men are accepting it because men are not finding jobs, especially in states like Bihar. Mostly they are migrating. So in this context, what if the woman is getting a job as a frontline worker or as a panchayat leader, they are getting some support uh, from the family. Uh, so definitely uh, there, is, uh, there is a uh, change. But then these women panchayat leaders, I'm very sure, I don't know, I mean, I really wanted to hear more about your specific experience of Kerala, because uh, I have worked partly on Jivika also, which is a livelihood promotion program in Bihar, somewhat like that. And I often hear from people that, why don't you compare from Kudumshra? Why don't you learn from uh, Kudumshri? But I know the context is very, very, very different. But at the same time, I think probably, uh, you know, you might, uh, uh, you know, throw some light on it that, um, in, in, I'll tell you, in case of Bihar, these women are, are facing kind of a double challenge. At one level, the patriarchal norms are there, which are kind of, uh, kind of pushing them to reinvent patriarchy, you know? I mean, it's rupturing patriarchy and at the same time pushing them to reinvent patriarchy. You can't completely deny it, but it is in a new form, maybe. For instance, if a woman uh, panchayat leader is very active in her in her uh, panchayat related work, probably her adolescent daughter will have to drop out from the school because she has to look after the, uh, her uh, younger siblings. So that kind of context, so that is one. And at the second level, as you rightly pointed out, and I really uh, thank you for uh, highlighting, the way the state is co-opting feminist ideologies, terminologies, it is scary. And now we have the concept of the NGO of the government. Jivika is an NGO of the government. So it's a, so I, 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 I mean, you know, back in early 2000s and late 90s, women's organization used to operate as autonomous body. But now, especially with the, with the beginning of this century, we are seeing a kind of wave of defeminate, you kind of defaming NGOs and de-glamorizing NGOs. And most of these, I think NGOs was, were the only space that provided some strength to uh, poor women who, especially worked on the rights for the poor women, but now nobody's talking about rights. Everybody is busy in production and, 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 and uh, you know, selling the product. And at the same time, we have such a low female workforce participation. And I often quote that in Bihar, we have a Jivika since long back, like 2005, six, and uh, the rural women's workforce participation in Bihar is 2.5%, which is very, 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 uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a shame, I would say. So I was just thinking that, so there is this double pressure. At one level, the government is co-opting the entire idea of, you know, ideas and concepts and terminologies of feminist discourse. And at the same time, there is patriarchy. And in this uh, kind of, it's a chaotic atmosphere. And, 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 and the chaos of this, uh, this context is quite evident in the widening gender gap of India, I would say. Because we are, I mean, we are going down rapidly. We are, this gap is widening. So in that context, I really want to hear uh, your opinion on what do you, how do you see that, how, how women are kind of, uh, because I, I'll tell you from my experience, what I'm saying is that, yes, women are uh, coming out, they are mobile and they are kind of uh, fulfilling those uh, indicate, they're kind of, uh, you know, uh, helping us, you know, improving the gender development indicators that women is, are mobile and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, if you look at how these women leaders are trying to change the gender norms or how they are helping women in their constituency, in many cases, we find that they are actually manifesting patriarchy. 
reinforcing patriarchy. I had shared in last uh, 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 last discussion at INPRI only that uh, uh, my recent study with elected women representative in Bihar shows that most of them they are not comfortable with reporting, uh, encouraging women to report uh, the violence cases domestic violence cases to police because that is supposed to be a stigma I mean, they used to scare women that if you go to police and report the police will come and and there will be case and you will be in a financial trap so it's not good for you and blah 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 so i'm, I'm just thinking that this is the context and it's very 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 important for us to think about it because the gender gap is widening and it is it is uh, human development indicator gender gap look at any indicator it's what is it very important to uh, accept it and also to think about what is the way out, what do you see in Kerala how women are, I mean how could a missionary really worked actually you partly shared about it but I would really like to hear more about your Kerala experience um, yeah I think that's, that's it from my side, thank you again thank you Anamika but I would have been liking more, hello I would yeah, have been liking you Yes, if you would have been, yeah. I would have been liking if you would have pointed out as to how to really go about it because patriarchy is reinventing yourselves in any form. It is now this is going on. Okay, fine. That statement is well taken. But then, what is that to be the? What is going to? What is to be done? How to really get out of this kind of a trap? It will go on manifesting again and again, different forms altogether. Now, how to go about it? What instrumentalities that one can think about to really go against this kind of a trend and then reinvent to, to and invent something which is very unique, innovative, and also at the same time make a fundamental change to this kind of what is called manifestation? Is it possible for us to think something of that kind? Are you asking? So, me? your presentation is absolutely fascinating, but then you must really take yourself to that level of discourse. Is it possible for you to articulate something of that kind in this forum? Um, Could you hear me, Anamika? Sunilda, are you asking me or Dr. Vinita? No, no, I'm asking you because you made a point, very serious okay. and important okay. point. Okay. Take, okay. It, take yourself to that level of discourse okay. okay. and leave it to that. I mean, could okay. you yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I could follow. I think I could follow uh, what you asked. I think uh, there, there are two things. One, one is very important that we live in a market-based economy, and it is very important to recognize the economic contribution of women. If we do not recognize uh, how she is contributing to the economy, and if we do not remunerate her economic contribution, it will be very difficult for us, for the society, to even respect her as an individual, even recognize her as a, uh, as a being who is worth of something. Right now, if we are not recognizing their labor, their economic contribution, we're actually denying their very existence in this market-based economy. They're kind of, I mean, they're easily disposable. And this is very clear from the gender, global gender gap report, which comes every year. And India is, is on like, I think it's on 153rd position for the on the head and survival indicator. Out of 156 countries, we are on the 153rd position for health and survival because we are. Not, I think I, this is my opinion that we are not recognizing women's contribution, and for recognizing women's contribution, it is very important to 
design our tools, our statistical uh, you know, mechanism. For instance, UN is recognizing domestic work as an economic activity. UN is recognizing things done for personal work, personal consumption as economic activity. But our NSA is de-recognizing it. It is not recognizing domestic work or things that are done for personal consumption as economic activity. So that way we are kind of pushing many women out. We are just not recognizing them as workers. And then if you look <coughs> Look at you know many work. For instance, a woman is uh, yes, she is a domestic. Uh, she is looking after her domestic chores. But at the same time, if it is a, I, I, my MA thesis was on Bhagalpur silk spinners, and I used to see that how she would like you know cook something, and then meanwhile she would come and spin thread, or maybe wash thread, or maybe uh, prepare the loom. Um, so that her husband could come and you know do the weaving. So they were constantly engaged in, in the entire day they were working. But at the same time, when you ask them that do you work, they used to say no. And that time back in early 2000s, the concern was that women are not recognizing their labor. But right now, even the state is not ready to recognize their labor. And I think that is dangerous. That is devastating. Abhijit Ghosh, Abhijit uh, Sain and uh, Jayati Ghosh and many other uh, scholars have been talking about that, how it is. Jimo Lonne has been talking, Indira Hiraway has been talking about that, how it is very, very, very important to recognize women's work and remunerate women's work. That is, that is one point. And second, I think, is the way government has co-opted, was with Dr. Vinita has pointed out, the, the, the feminist ideas and terminologies and concepts, it has actually... We don't see autonomous women's organizations these days. We don't see women's organization at the grassroots talking about women's rights. Uh, uh, we are kind of penalizing, pressurizing, and uh, most of the NGOs now, back in late 90s or early 2000s, NGOs used to critique government. They used to kind of, you know, there was kind of an opposition. They used to kind of compliment the government. But now we see that NGOs are working for the government. NGOs are helping government in promoting their program. If you look at Jivika, Jivika Didis are right now engaged in open deputation campaign. They are engaged in alcohol prohibition campaign. Yes, I, don't know, hmm. I don't know when they will get time to uh, you know, focus on their livelihood promotion program, which is the core agenda of Jivika. So these are some of the concerns. I mean, I could share only two points, but I'm sure Dr. Vinita will add more to it. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Vinita. May I ask the same question later on, not now? Uh, later, the rest of the rest of the discussion finish their uh, presentation, and then later on I may ask the same question as to you: How to really get out of this kind of thing? State-sponsored NGOs, well done, well spoken. But that is the story. Another question is that how to get out? Is it that you are trying to promote? You are trying to suggest that autonomous women's organizations should be really flourish more and more, more and more everywhere? Is it that you are trying to talk about? You have to be explicit in your what is called recommendations or thinking, taking your argument further, you know, to a, to a kind of a resolution. Unless it is there at that for years and years and years. So that's one thing. So maybe that I may ask the same question, may request Benita to enlighten somebody like me who is searching for some answer for that. Okay, next, the discussion, uh, may I? Yeah, now you can you can add later on. Uh, okay. Do you want to speak right now? Okay. Speak. No, I just think that uh, I just think that when you say that, be very specific. We are to have a resolution. We need to be, you know, we need to take cognizance of the context, and it is a chaotic context. It is a messy context, and um, the state is churning. And 
I, I don't think that we will have a very clear prescription for coming out of it. And we are, we feel handicapped also because the context is very problematic. The state is not, the, the state's priorities are very different. At, this, at one level, more we see more women representatives in panchayat and local governing bodies. But at the same time, the kind of work they are engaged in, are these priorities, what, what they are supposed to do, uh, is it going to help them in you know, ah, okay. uh, promoting gender equality and all? Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. I think that is the point which needs to be further discussed. And Vinita, maybe Dr. Vinita may be able to enlighten us on that point. But let us stop at that and let me turn to the second discussion, uh, Dr. Aditya, uh, Dr. Aditya Mohanty. Uh, thank you, Anamika. Thank you so much for making a very, very concrete and uh, interesting uh, points uh, that you made. Uh, it certainly is very contributory thank in uh, furthering the discussions uh, on this issue on women. Okay, next, Dr. Aditya. Would you like to, uh, Dr. Binita, do you like to respond to Dr. Onamika's uh, questions or whatever? No, I'll do it together. Together, that's very good, very good. Okay, fine. Uh, Dr. Aditya? Dr. Aditya, may I request you to make your points? Yeah, uh, am I audible now? Yes, good. Yeah. Hello. Uh, thank you, Professor Ray, for this uh, opportunity to give my remarks to Professor Vinita's uh, presentations. Uh, I also thank my co-panelists, especially Anamika, for this provocative remarks to begin with, and uh, Arun for giving me an opportunity to be part of this exciting event. Uh, well, uh, I'll try to, uh, keeping the constraints of time in mind, I'll try to keep my observations limited to two in nature, one at a conceptual plane and one at a policy plane. Uh -huh. First and foremost, uh, uh, Dr. Vinita, I think that, of course, I mean, to begin with that your presentation had this excellent uh, critical textbookish, uh, you know, shift from Widwad Gad and where you really, even if for someone who did not know anything about gender, like me, who never worked in gender, but something else, it was a quite, you know, it, it was a good ground to begin with the people. So basically what you draw home is the point that, well, there is a shift in vocabulary from equity to empowerment, to intersectionality finally. And I think from there, I will take it forward. Uh, I work on questions of participatory urban governance, especially uh, as a researcher. And so drawing uh, analytical parallels, what I feel that the question of gender mainstreaming is definitely lost the moment we keep on clamoring about the fact uh, that women need to be kept as, uh, you know, uh, asserted as different creatures or to say that the bandwagon has to be completely women-centric or feminist-centric, so on and so forth, that's the way, then it gets entirely defeated, the whole purpose for what gender mainstreaming is all about. It is not about bringing about another, uh, you know, bandwagon of the women only campaign. The whole idea that is, of course, being reiterated here is that when you have a development model that talks about taking women as a separate category, the system fails because then already women are victimized as a uh, agents of, by the agents of patriarchy. And now they again develop more complexes for others because they feel that the pie is being shared only by the women. So that creates them, gives them more enemies. So of course that that's so at a very colloquial level, I would say that of course WAD is, uh, GAD is what we should be discussing. And that's how we, you've been very interestingly putting up the questions of uh, intersectionality that is uh, coming out of the GAD program. 
But then Anamika brings this very, I would say, a very meaty political economy question that in spite of all of that, what about the female participation, work participation rate? I mean, that's where the real game begins, that you cannot have a gongo, which Aradhana Gupta and others talk about, that government organized, non-government organizations, or what you talked about, which I found that a very funny oxymoron, state organized civil society. I mean, the moment it is state organized, then what is civil and what is society about it left in it? The moment it is state organized civil society, but be that as it may, uh, with this entire Gongo program, what has happened is what Anamika again told was that it is about this co-optation of this entire drive where you expected women, you expected women to be handheld to begin with and then make them autonomous, autonomous agents. But I think the reason why it really doesn't work now is that somewhere down the line, we are forgetting a, a parallel economic condition that we are grappling with. And I would take it uh, to recourse to the writings of this amazing writer, Judith Butler's idea of precarity, where she explicitly brings out, this is a very recent work, maybe a decade back, 2004, where she says that we need to distinguish between precariousness as an ontological condition and precarity as a politically induced condition. So, and, very and that, good, very good. It's, yeah. it's, a very, it's a very, you know, it's, it's a very incisive remark in this context where women might have been born as vulnerable entities within a given system, but then the moment you say, to them, well, you guys line up and join as SSGs, then that's the, that's the ticket of being empowered. That's where you make them precarity as a very, you know, signposting them as empowered citizens in this way. And then the second thing then, but what then finally comes out here is that can't women really come to the mainstream through any other detours, detouring it through non-SHG modes? Can't they really come up as entrepreneurs in their own right? Can't women and men collaborate and come up with enterprises? I mean, some very, you know, questions which we can really work out at a micro level. And I think a solution for that, I mean, I really do not know a lot about Kudumbashri, but whatever I've read from works of, of course, uh, Devika has been really phenomenal in her writings of Kudumbashri, appending the sociological angle to the economic uh, aspects of Kudumbashri. But what really, with Kudumbashri, there's a problem of replication across because you have a regime of socialization there where you very well tell that there is a political, there is a literacy campaign that goes on in society and it's a very gender sensitive society that can talk about a campaign where you can talk about pending PRIs to SAGs, which is, which is very, I think uh, half of the UP Bihar belt will faint the moment you talk about telling PRIs getting at attached to SAGs already given that. So that, so that's, of course, so there is, I think that Kudumba Shri has its limitations because it has got some, you know, supply side reservations which demand side doesn't understand. So you already have things in place. So now what I think rather I would take, uh, I, this will be my final point to the to my remarks, that uh, I think Jivika of late has come up with something very interesting, which Abhidit Banerjee has been doing. Of course, it has its limitation, but still I find some meat in it where they've started this um, ultra targeting the ultra poor. And, and that came in the, you know, in the wake of this, uh, it told that technically told that uh, it, it comes up as a very welfareist program that it, they're targeting the ultra poor, but that was basically a uh, political, uh, you know, uh, step to, you know, compensate for people who were quitting, uh, uh, you know, drinking habits and prohibition and all that. So I think that uh, there is, in, when you talk about targeting the ultra poor, you take this entire initiative beyond the feminist lenses and say that, well, you can be ultra poor, even if you are a man or a woman, doesn't matter, then you can be, you can again come, come into the fold. But then, as you again told, that first you have to show your identity cards as having the passport or being a SSG member first, or the GVK member, and then you are a part of the ultra poor or not. So I think that to 
conclude my remarks would be this that gender mainstreaming in this country can only be can be better provided a uh, of course we need to move away from the poverty anti poverty uh, reduction strategy schemes that you have already pointed out that we cannot see with women welfare programs as another anti poverty alleviation strategies but two uh, what instead we should do is one that we need to understand we need to go for definitely a, maybe a large scale large scale baseline survey of finding out that it's slow, slowly 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 find out yeah. as to who are the other precarious or say for for that i'm a vulnerable citizens within a community irrespective mm -hmm. of the gender make a targeting of them and maybe then put them into stratas and devise targeted uh, programs for you know do, dole out some kind of a program where they can be brought into the mainstream but after but apart from that uh, however uh, as we say that here, that whole question of intersectionality has to be kept in mind because even if you can, uh, you know, the one lenses can put different categories together as being economically vulnerable, there might again be differences of, as you say, racial or cultural ethnicity or affinities by which certain two, ty two types of seemingly similar poor people cannot be brought together. So I think that, that uh, gender mainstreaming in the country, uh, it's, it's a long way to go now, but we won't be, I mean, pessimistic, Kudumbashri can lead the way but I think we have to break the silos. We need to break the silos. I mean, this won't work. I mean, neither as neither you know, uh, you know, you know. I would say that how neither uh, really you know, uh, uh, you know that that entire obsession with uh, revival of the feminist paradigm and not letting it to be co-opted by the state, or even the insecurity of the patri of the patriarchs to patronize the women via the state, because that's what they have basically done is in SAG. The, the moment they found that these women are, are becoming as, as, are blooming up as independent voices, let's try to patronize them and let the subalterns speak what we want them to speak in another way. So with that, I'll keep my observations. I think that you can reflect on uh, some of the issues that I've raised. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much, uh, Aditya. Uh, so nice uh, after a long time. Uh, I really like some of your points, but before Dr. Binita respond to Aditya's uh, uh, points that he raised, uh, I may ask a question to Aditya, maybe that the same thing Binita can uh, respond to. It's basically an attempt uh, on my part to enlighten myself. I do not know much about it. Only thing that my confusion is here, extra institutional structure. You go for construction for extra institutional sector, Kudumbusri, for example or through panchayat, you know, something of that kind. And on the one hand, that is for, again, for empowerment of women. The objective is basically is that. But at the same time, taking a woman as a separate category, as you said very rightly, is a failure in certain cases, the majority of the cases. That being the case, now I would like to see the efficacy. I like to understand the efficacy of constructing the extra institutional structures to see that you know, this gender mainstreaming is something which could be possible. So the lessons to be drawn from here is that structural analysis. How do you really enter yourself? How do you enter through this route to the structural analysis for restructuring the society to switch the relationship between the men and women, between the people from one and different across the section, across gender, across race. Okay, so implications from what I understand from you and of course, Onamika together, that this restructuring structure, maybe the extra institutional structure need to have a greater understanding, a deeper understanding, its efficacy in the light of what happens practically. Because what Onamika said very nicely is 
you find continuously what is called re, uh, you know reinvention of patriarchy now in the light of this fact that there is patriarchy which has been even kudumbisri even the vinitas presentation you find despite all these kind of interventions you find the reinvention of what is called this one uh, the reinvention of this patriarchy and which is not which is stalling the process of change which is being desired that being the case now if you respond in a one line and then dr vinita will be able to really uh, do extensively on this one now uh, dr aditya the question pointedly asks you this what is called extra institutional structure yes i think that there is uh, that is it goes without saying that of course when we are talking about identifying both categories of men and women together into this program we are talking about extra institutional structures we're not talking about only state sponsored institutional structures because if we do that then uh, we will get back into the same problem of the tyranny of participation which people have already talked about that the more get about that yeah so so i think that the, uh, when we talk about extra institutional structures what uh, the reason why we should talk about extra institutional structures i think are twofold one uh there is a certain chance that the question of intersectionality provides the moment because these are questions of intersectionality definitely comes to the fore you will get more takers so maybe an ngo who is interested in environmental campaigns would then find women also equally lucrative as their clients or their respondents or and vice versa so if this that fact the moment you have extra institutional structures opened up you are basically letting more people participate and i would say that mutual interest can be really harped upon one second thing why i think institutional structures would also be important is because uh, of what we have already seen in the case of jivika uh, which anamika very rightly points out that in a state which already has a program of a decade and a half into its running still does not it still fails to get real time develop changes in the indexes of work female workforce participation so i think that uh, there is no denying the fact that extra institutional structures would be re relevant of course but i think at the same time uh, extra institutional structures would also be relevant because uh, the state led programs generally end up to be very uh, i would do, do a lot of uh, lip glossing and just giving them not entitlements or any capability enhancement but do a very uh, you know cosmetic uh, change in terms absolutely, of absolutely 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 maybe the institutional structures will have because they of course more money would also go into these programs because you have three sets of training campaigns coming up and that will be equally lucrative for our partners or civil society actors as well but then at the end of the day the money is pushed but at least some residues are remaining back so extra institutions of course is important for these two three reasons that i have outlined yes sir good thank you so much thank you aditya uh now uh, <coughs> dr vinita <laughs> this is your turn uh, uh, then uh, before you uh, discuss uh, or the you know uh, respond to their queries uh, or the questions whatever it is uh, i have a very small question to you and then you can incorporate my point of view uh, i am as wondering uh, as when i was hearing you patriarchal structure i want to know from you Now, where does this patriarchal structure interact intersect with market values or the market system or this capitalist market economy? You know, where do they interact with each other? Intersection point number one, and related to that, I just want to know from you, uh, with reference to your first part of your study, is that you know these uh, uh, areas of conflict and convergence, the patriarchy. and the market value 
patriarchal value, market value. Now, there could be some areas of convergence. There should be the areas of conflict. Now, convergence, I understand, but the conflict and how these conflicts are being resolved, and that's through the reinvention of what's called patriarchal values, is the domination of the market. The market values accommodates continuously, you know, this patriarchal values for its own benefit. So there is that, if that is the case, there is no conflict between the two. Can you please enlighten us on these points? I don't know whether my questions are right or wrong, but then this is what I felt after hearing you. I thought I must ask you very honestly. So Dr. Vinita, now what is with you? Yes. Yesterday, we also have Simi and she also has some questions. So Dr. Vinita, would you like to also call out those? Would like, yes. If I come in now, sir, Professor Ray. Uh, sorry, I mean, there are many. No sorry, sir. Uh, is it okay if I come in now or I can come in later? No, no, please go ahead now. I mean, in the I interest think... of time, it would be good. So that okay, are... okay, okay. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Thampi, and uh, to all the panelists and Professor Ray. So uh, I have very quick points to make about. The fact that gender mainstreaming has theoretically been uh, framed as a noble framework for action. However, we have seen that despite efforts, gender mainstreaming has not attained the desired results for the transformation, the gender transformation and social change. I believe that the major reason for this uh, has been the bureau bureaucratic interference to appropriate mainstreaming at the expense of social transformation. Um, please provide your uh, viewpoints on this, ma'am. And also the focus has been on administrative and fiscal reforms uh, rather than, and, and, uh, it, and uh, while neglecting uh, to consider the ways in which institutions can better support the women and, and, and address the accountability failures. So this is my first point. And second point is that the uh, most critical element of mainstreaming that uh, mainstreaming and operations has not yet been attained or attempted because implementation has mo mostly focused on internal organizational dimensions like staffing policies, developing indicators, training of all staff, etc., uh, which are often interpreted as preconditions uh, to, inter uh, to interventions at operational level. But once we come to the operational level, then uh, everything becomes diluted. So in order to ensure a cohesive development, the broad framework of this uh, talk, uh, what must be uh, considered? I mean, for example, can changes at the operational level uh, will will or will not improve the lives of the men and women? Uh, will concrete actions or concrete results in terms of increased development effectiveness, would it constitute a way forward in the current impasse that uh, we are yeah. faced with? Uh, and which ultimately will lead to uh, the, the empowerment goals. So these are my quick points, ma'am, uh, and respected panelists, if you'd like to respond, it is, uh, I'll uh, no. thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Shimi. Very nice points that you have made. Yes, very interesting, quite stimulating. Next, anybody? So, so yeah. that's it. I think we can uh, go to... <laughs> no, yeah. anybody else is there? Uh, no, I think Dr. Thumpy can go on, then I can ask some policy schemes related questions. After that, but that will be more of applied. So Dr. Thumpy, why not? Yeah, um, I'm exercising my freedom to avoid some of the comments and questions and select some of them. Um, this is what I regularly do. Please, uh, reason, yes. Reason is sometimes I may completely dismiss some of the questions. 
sometimes i need more time to think on some of them um sometimes they are not questions per se some kind of broader reflections comments and all that i might agree with them so because of all these reasons i selectively pick your uh, questions um well i start with uh, anamika's point um the contextualization depoliticization dehistoricization yeah i argued for one um history of the location is important because i worked with a historian j deviga for a long time wrote together and i learned the value of history so so the history of the location matters because even these several policies and programs even kudumbashree another paper i did uh, i published in geo forum not with deviga somebody else was actually looking at kudumbashree working very differently in two locations wherein one location the cpm the communist party is very strong and rigidly controlling uh, kudumbashree whereas in the other location it's not so even uh, programs intentions may be same but it's unfolding differently working differently in different locations so that location its history uh, contextualizations are important i agree with you and your question and your comment on women studies in india that's an entirely different uh, failure of women studies program mm. yeah uh, anandi uh, and uh, i was not talking about women studies in india i was talking about western countries yeah like, yeah I'll, I'll, i'll come back to that interestingly so in india uh, it's a failure and even in the west if you look at uh, it's it has changed uh, very significantly uh, for my uh, fulbright to 3 years ago i've been to a women studies program in rutgers university now the program has been repacked it's more gender and sexuality studies uh, you know um so it's changing well um but um, i agree with you and and the other question um, you talked about the quota that was the point you raised the way in which quotas reservation has been institutionalized and the proxy argument mary john has come up with a very interesting paper uh, on these proxy uh, argument in which see this is about power how long somebody else will control you and uh, um, you will use it at some point when you have it and i've seen that in the context of kerala wherein women were using it unknowingly uh, or unanticipating the consequences of it and uh, very very um, and that is put them in a very difficult kind of situations we did uh, field work me and deviga and uh, suban published a book gender paradoxes of political decentralization we did around 160 interviews with women in local governance um so proxy has been uh, perhaps dismissed i would say um that's what i've seen in the context of kerala and i looked at uh, three terms uh, 15 years women in 
uh, local governing institutions, what's happening. Also, what I found basically was a group becoming more uh, acceptable locally, which party cannot do anything after a while because, you know, they're becoming, they're gaining support locally and party has to do accommodation, uh, you know. Um, so, and also another group completely uh, moved out and yet another group uh, gained some sort of skills and uh, management abilities and they used it elsewhere, got into some good employment. So outcome, if you look at of this induction of women into local governance is very uh, varied. Uh, another group became, um, uh, another group actually, they came from Kudumbashri's structure. Um, so they were sort of continuing that, uh, whatever they brought in. So it's very interesting mix, if you look at. Um, our book uh, discusses uh, at length uh, all these different groups and categories of women and the kind of outcome. Uh, then the question of reinventing patriarchy, I am not very, very comfortable with that term reinventing because our patriarchy has always been there. It's repacking and uh, patriarchy is also changing and also um, new repackaging takes place. Sometimes it's become, it's getting more advantageous for women, sometimes not. So that's how it is changing. Yes, patriarchy is changing significantly. So uh, it's not like reinventing the wheel. It has been uh, there. And the question is, why do they do that sometimes? Again, um, the uh, Dennis Candioti's work collaborating with patriarchy, it's advantageous for women to collaborate with patriarchy, right? Um, so why do they fight unnecessarily? At least when you become old, you get some respect and you can exercise power, uh, right? So um, some they, they call it as, in politics, they call it as uh, honorary masculinity is, is given to you, you know, more respect, so on and so forth. Um, so, um, that's one uh, point. Second, you talked about, uh, you said my experience of uh, Kudumbashri, uh, my ex in the sense, my fieldwork experience of uh, women in uh, Kudumbashri. Um, see, I am not basically against, you know, Kudumbashri or linking it with the local governing structure. It has got its own advantage. It gave women some sort of respectability locally. They are accessing local political power centers, uh, their connection. It's also, men are not objecting it because they want that channel to be open. Women are actually the conduit for those uh, transfers, welfare transfers and uh, respect transfers as well locally. So uh, that's, uh, that's why women are there with the Kudumbashri more than half of the household in the state. They want to be part of the uh, Kudumbashri. But when it comes to the 
work participation question you brought in why low work participation in bihar uh, female participation and in kerala also it's very uh, relatively low uh, nsso uh, data it's not nsso anymore it's annual uh, uh, so it's around 25 percentage but then also the self employment via kudumbashree program i have sort of uh discomfort with that because what they actually do uh, the the income that's actually been generated is very very less and there is no division between uh profit and wages whatever they get they divide it uh, within the group that's right hmm. huh. so which is uh, 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 you can argue that this is better than nothing but uh, also that is not advantages for all kinds of women so you also find women get excluded from this and they get into wage labor so on and so forth also a couple of years ago in colombo there was a demonstration by uh, self group women in which the demand slogan basically was that we don't need microfinance anymore give us employment decent employment Uh, so this is being acknowledged by researchers in asia and africa if you look at self employment is uh, uh, worse than uh, wage casual wage labor uh, so that's something we need to um, keep in mind um, why um, employment uh, unemployment and uh, low employment opportunities is a broader larger question uh, it has to do with the way in which india has developed over a long period of time uh, and the kind of policies we adopted differently in different locations within the national policy um, framework there are various studies and arguments that's a different area altogether but also interestingly during the period of economic growth in india 2005 2013 14 period if you look at employment in formal sector for women declined that was something um, researchers have looked at and came up with various explanatory hypotheses i'm not um, getting into that um that's it uh, i think uh, about your uh, comments and then uh, coming back to uh, what should be uh, professor sunil ray's uh, comment um, it's a very very uh, uh, difficult question but i would like to engage with that the question is what would you suggest to completely demolish patriarchy if that is the question uh, well uh, how do we understand patriarchy the argument basically is that patriarchy is the kind of social division created in the history even before 
in the history before history even before any other forms of class based or any other forms of social divisions came up all of the social divisions modeled the patriarchy used as a model uh, and made uh, divisions and stratification this is the argument uh, group of feminists came up with um so what is that policy that you suggest right now that can do away with patriarchy is not very um, helpful for us to deal the situation i can give you one example the uh, time you survey data came out very recently in india so we had uh, a sample survey 20 years ago and what was uh, very striking was the difference in uh, time allocation between men and women in household production has in changed in this country in the past 20 years um so a journalist friend of mine wrote on facebook that this is surprising even in kerala you will see the change i my response was that yes if you start doing the household work from tomorrow onwards and many other people are doing this will change in the coming 20 years that's it it's very simple um so the point basically is it's actually asking a kind of radical transformation in the way in which we divide our uh, household responsibilities and work the way in which our institutions are structured um so and it's omnipresent it's there everywhere um so that kind of a change we are we 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 need question hence is can the state bring in change the the cbs question basically was also that why it's failing gender mainstreaming is failing in terms of bringing in changes tell me social and uh, uh, social and cultural changes uh, state cannot uh, bring in to a greater extent it can facilitate through say some kind of policies and programs and this is not a communist state like china communist or not i don't know but then the controls are different china one child policy if you look at china could do that because of the way in which the state is functioning you can't have more children we don't have that kind of we have democracy and more kind of freedom and households are as microcosmic units located within and responding to those larger structures so the change has to happen at every level individual level and community level and institutional level and state level and so on and so forth that's why uh, it's taking centuries and this has happened over a long period of time centuries of patriarchy and repackaging of patriarchy and collaboration and women and other groups men are also collaborating disadvantages men men have many disadvantages poor men working in informal sector labor they also 
this is a kind of survival question, right? So this collaboration accommodation also taking place. So there's no point in us getting um, frustrated and happy to understand and slowly move forward. That's something I would uh, suggest. Um, and what can be done uh, immediately in terms of policies, if you are uh, looking at several things can be done. For instance, uh, the infrastructure uh, uh, imagination. Anamika talked about women's labor question, uh, recognizing and um, uh, I have, uh, my, my position on that is uh, slightly uh, different. Uh, in the recent uh, state assembly elections, Kamala Hazan started with this uh, wages for housework and even the left government and the Congress uh, uh, party announced kind of wages and pension for women and all that. I think uh, that's not a good solution. It rather reproduces women's role uh, as uh, the division of labor, it reinforces. Okay, women are uh, doing this job, let them do it forever, um, uh, which is not a good uh, solution. Rather, uh, I would suggest um, make it uh, formal decent employment Childcare at the local level, child care centers, elderly care centers, good wages for women, they will do happily. Um, and also and also a fair sharing of household uh, work between men and women. Um, and that for that, there is a kind of cultural change has to happen, which is very, very hard. Uh, also the question of uh, female uh, feticide, infanticide in this country. We had uh, uh, very strict rules and policies and all that. Look at the data, uh, 91, 2001, 2011, it's happening. So uh, it, the state cannot regulate certain things that easily. It's a matter of uh, social and cultural change. Policy-wise, uh, infrastructure imagination if you look at which you see very very distinct form of infrastructure prioritization and imagination in this country um, plug in gender concerns within certain infrastructure uh, better transportation communication facilities um, child care centers so on and so forth will enhance women's workforce participation so it can be an taxation policy for those who pay the tax uh, women-friendly taxation policy. Uh, gender macroeconomics group have come up with very interesting set of uh, policies, but state is not that happy uh, implementing them. Um, uh, then the new efficacy of extra institutional arrangements. Yeah, point is you can come up with uh, any kind of institutional structures and arrangements, uh, but who will ensure the efficacy of them? Um, that's the question. Um, so again, uh, then the other point that you said, uh, why do I uh, um, talk about autonomous women's organizations and bringing, see there is history. 
uh, in the West. When Donald Trump assumed power in the United States, women's organization calls for a demonstration. In 2016, I was there. And I've seen large number of men and women participating and protesting and demonstrations, so on and so forth, rescuing their democracy. And women's groups have had a history in that location to invite people for protest and uh, talk to them. They had a language and talk to them like we need to save democracy. And they've been doing that throughout his time. So the point is such collectivization of women um, across caste class lines in this country is needed everywhere. It's needed. Um, that's what uh, I believe. Also, hence my criticism, basically, in Kerala also, women's movement is not doing anything. Finding fault with state and Kudumbashri and all that, they do whatever they can, but uh, they can, uh, women's movement has to be more uh, vibrant and uh, reorganize and uh, be more vibrant and responsive to the state and uh, its institutions, particularly engaged with the state and its institutions, which they could not. And even in the Shabrimala protest and all that injury of women in the Shabrimala, women's movement could not do anything, whereas the state did. Uh, uh, and, and that is a huge uh, political risk for them, but they did. Yeah, that's, that's it. Um, also, Dr. Aditya's question. See, this victimization was uh, 70s, 80s, and then the that's why I argued for deference feminism. So even in the uh, within the state feminism that has been uh, acknowledged, recognized, not being treating women are not being treated as victims of development of patriarchy or whatever. Um, so. And um, state organized uh, or state initiated civil society, that's a kind of calling Kudumbashri as because you actually see the presence of state uh, uh, and its party uh, there in Kudumbashri, but it is a civil society organization. Qualitatively, it's uh, different. Uh, that's why I used, uh, Devika also used uh, that state organized or state initiated state support civil society. I'm not uh, uh, commenting on your uh, butler's precariousness and precarity, mm -hmm. that differentiation, I just have to think about it. Uh, and uh, you talked about, uh, because butler, we need to be very careful with uh, butler. As someone who is uh, failing in the classroom to uh, convince students about uh, gender trouble, I just have to be more uh, attentive to that. But uh, you talked about detours. Uh, what are the uh, possible detours um, that women can have? 
which one has to do an extensive field work and uh, uh, document. There may be detours and success stories. Uh, and and to, uh, by reflecting on those detours and uh, successes, uh, we need to come up with a formulation, which I won't, uh, I cannot do at the moment because I don't have stories. Uh, and the ultra poor, uh, you refer the bottom to uh, in Kerala's uh, policy framework. If you look at that bottom two destitutes, they have, uh, because uh, they try to, we need to understand the source of poverty, maybe uh, unwell illness or uh, some disability. There are various uh, reasons for that uh, uh, poverty. They cannot act and come out of poverty. Uh, destitute uh, groups, they are being called as destitutes. And uh, um, there is a kind of specific uh, policies and programs for them. Even uh, during this COVID time, there are community kitchens and food uh, supplies and all that for them, of elderly people, for instance, um, those who are having no other support and they are old. So we don't have a social pension and all that, right? Um, so, and your other point, um, interesting, I agree with you, anti, um, anti-poverty efforts from empowerment and yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but the difficulty basically is this is a state's program and that has a different history also uh, because um, 80s onwards, uh, if you're untying, what are the claims of women like uh, me and Anamika. It's not a poverty question. It's equity, equality question, symbolic and material, right? And this is very, very hard for uh, policy circles to accept. Uh, that's one thing. And on the other hand, all sudden then poverty, addressing poverty is the primary responsibility of the state. So I could actually see the logic behind doing that. And also among state governments, if you look at, there is a more uh, uh, support uh, for such uh, tying up and a poverty with uh, women's involvement. And your question of new forms of poverty, I agree. Uh, we did a study and uh, published in GeoForum, new forms of poverty actually uh, emerging. Uh, Kerala had seen that um, newer uh, uh, vulnerabilities and newer forms. Farmers, for instance, after the uh, period of uh, farmer suicides and they had assets, but uh, no income at their disposal. So there are new categories several such categories we identified and we looked at new forms of poverty emerging, which is qualitatively different from traditional forms of uh, poverty, vulnerability, question. Uh, 
So uh, some of your points, I agree. Uh, these are my comments. And another major, major point is the final uh, collaboration between patriarchy and uh, the market forces, capitalism. You look at the labor market. Don't you see that? Why there is a wage uh, differential for the same amount of work? Why is it that majority of the NRVGP workers are women? So it's not just in the formal, uh, not just in the private sector employment, you will find that everywhere. Uh, labor market very, very effectively, domestic work, labor is exploitation. Why do they do that? We all exploit them. They don't get fair wages. And we are not actually legislating, uh, even though uh, ILO was uh, insisting, pushing for uh, legislation for domestic workers. The draft bill is ready, but we are not acting on it. So we do that very clearly, very efficiently. Uh, I have several examples, if you ask me. Uh, so you, you see that everywhere and also more importantly, the advertisements and commodifying women and so on and so forth. Also the market uh, using uh, patriarchal values and women as a kind of uh, commodity constructing certain kinds of femininity and uh, ultimately consumption for both men and women, all right? So there are various ways in which uh, capitalism is appropriating. So we can think about, actually, we can think about uh, I think in the sense we can even imagine about uh, anything except post-capitalist world. We don't know what it looks like. But such is the power of that. Um, so even now, because of the anxiety of climate change and things of that sort, People started reflecting and working, but it's not bringing in even uh, greater Thunberg's uh, attack on state governments. Uh, Manuel Macron was uh, very apologetic and uh, his response was interesting. He said, that's not in my hands, not in our hands. It's with corporations. So we cannot reduce the, uh, the temperature as we as various forums decide within a stipulated period of time. It's not a state decision, basically. So that's how it's going. I'll wrap up here. Um, thank you all. Uh, uh, Dr. Urjun, Dr. Urjun, do you have Dr. Arjun. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm here. Yeah. 
Yeah, could you hear me? Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, you have certain something you know to ask or to discuss. So, sir, I think ma'am has really summed up. I really wanted to ask what are the views of ma'am of the flagship uh, program of the government, like Beti Padhao, Beti Bachao, and other efforts by the state government. Uh, how contextually she sees the difference between different regions of India? That was one of my concern coming out from the policy level. That was my question. If very good. I'm sorry, I'm not commenting on those programs because I haven't done enough work on them. Program, I read a few papers, but I'm not a person to comment on various programs of the national government and state government. I've looked at some of them. Based on that, I can comment, but I won't be able to. Uh, for instance, NREGA, there is a body of literature documented. These programs, uh, several other scholars studied. I haven't studied the, them in detail. Um, so, and that too, it's a very, very broad uh, area of work like in several programs and several of the central government and the various state governments. I won't get into, we won't open that Pandora's box. And I'm also not uh, qualified enough to respond to each of them. Thank right. you. No, I, I was really asking that question as an economist because uh, time and again, even in the elections now, we see that Tamil Nadu is proposing that we give 1500, 2000 per month to housewife. And uh, there, there is so many plethora of issues now for especially the Bimaru state or now districts, we are focusing on uh, aspirational district or Beti Bachao, Beti Padhao. So the direction, or I would say acceleration in terms of different intervention, uh, there is a sharp regional uh, direction. So in that aspect, I really thought to gain some insight from you. And uh, Tamil Nadu really leads in many of them. So that is why I asked that question. Anyhow, so uh, over to you, Professor Ray, to yeah. summarize and yeah, conclude the proceeding for today, yes. If, if anybody else is there to raise, uh, uh, if not, nobody else is there, then I would like to uh, conclude. Yes, yes. Uh, I must uh, thank uh, Dr. Vinita for uh, a very stimulating presentation of the issues that are, are related to gender mainstreaming. Uh, <clears throat> it's very interesting in many ways. I do not want to sum up that something which is self-explanatory, but I think because most of the questions that being uh, issues or questions being raised by many of us, you have pointedly attended and responded to each one whether one agrees or not, but then it's very concerted attempt is there on your part to respond them as appropriately as you can, which really has been very interesting and quite learning for everyone. So we could, I must really appreciate that one. Uh, another one is that, uh, you know, the discussant, uh, Dr. Anamika and Dr. Aditya, uh, their participation and the kind of issues they have raised are equally important and very stimulating. I must thank them 
for having participated very fruitfully, effectively, and also generating a considerable amount of debate and discussion, which if it is allowed to be continued, perhaps one can dwell upon on these issues further. But then that is how the, what the purpose of this seminar is all about. And the root cause, root is nothing but the presentation of Dr. Vinita. Having said that, I must thank all of you and uh, you know uh, for this particular series to be successful. Uh, I mean, it's a continuous process, but this uh, is a part of it. And therefore, I must say it does certainly adds value to the entire process. Finally, let me just make a very, uh, very small, very brief comment on, uh, on Benita's presentation to conclude. Uh, it may not be a substantive one, but could be an indicative one. Uh, the purpose for which this series is being, I'm trying to let uh, the presentation, the, the conclude, the, 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 uh, the, the major, major message, the main, most interesting message or important message that I could draw from it. And that could be related to the purpose for which this series is being uh, you know, initiated by Dr. Arjun. The relationship between that what we're talking about and what is finally is going to be there. It's too difficult for one to really depicture what is going to happen tomorrow. But definitely it is possible for us to really to, 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 to look through, to see through what is probably could happen, going to happen. And that is where, for example, the state as an institution that we talked about, Despite the fact that recently I came across a paper written by a friend of mine by Chotokulam, you must be knowing, uh, Joe Chotokulam in mainstream. You know, that's a very interesting, he's a very good friend of mine, he sent the copy immediately after the publication. And that is again, in Kerala, the women's positions related to elections and all that are taking place. Despite all these changes taking place, despite the fact the macro policies have been, you know, extensively adapted, as compared to other states, you find, and also Kudumbusri is one of the unique invention uh, on the part of the government of Kerala. And you do see a greater, good amount of mobilization of women, despite all that, still you find what Onamika spoke about is something, reinvention of the patriarchy in some form or the other. That is something, I mean, Joe Thom uh, Thomas, uh, uh, you know, paper does reflect upon. Now the point is that at one point of time you said, which he really liked, collectivization of women. And as they get the male and women, you have given some example for other countries. So men and women together, a kind of a, a, a systemic, what is, the, what is called a change of relation, a different kind of social institution that you can conceive about. And that should be built up based on the forces of solidarity between male and female. That is the end of the day. And something which cannot be ignored, it cannot be minimized, it cannot be underestimated. Without that, you really would not be able to bring about a kind of a change. I am just forcing my argument onto your model of thinking. I'm trying to relate myself. Where do you have to go? It's something which is a kind of trajectory, a trajectory of change. I know that a friend of mine, Naila Kobi, once told me when he's in Sussex, he told me, Sunil, why are you hurrying up? Everything is in gradual process. I said, totally agree to evolution to the gradualization process. I do agree. So change is take place. This is 
two, two decades, three decades, decades ago. Now this goes on. Of course, three decades ago, what the status, what the situation between male and female, what the issues that being used to be raised regarding the gender was different from today. Today, certainly different is much more improved. But how much really change has taken place is certainly something which need to be counted, which certainly should be counted. And therefore, I mean, I do agree, everything is in process of change, has to take place because two counterfeiting forces, two contradictory forces had to resolve that contradiction, has to have a synthesis at some level. And this synthesis is something evolutionary process, which cannot be what is called discounted. It has to take place, maybe a hundred years after, but that's a different story. But I'm saying that bringing that one process of change is something and where this collectivization, that is the kind of suggestion that you're making. And this collectivization has to really have to have a base on the forces of solidarity between male and female is something that cannot be discounted. And perhaps that gives us a kind of a indication for a new trajectory to come up. For this, what is called a solution to really think about. Not that I'm saying that a solution, a kind of one plus one is equal to two, nothing of that kind, but definitely some positive indications of that kind has to be there. And we, the researchers, have a responsibility to really think about, to really think, to really jot down, to really think very seriously. There are some, some scholars I mean, outside the country, they have been writing on very, very emphatically as to how to go about and all that, where, in fact, where uh, I'm forgetting the names of some authors, they have have spoken about what that you are indirectly talking about collectivization is nothing but mobilization of the forces of the women for the spirit is something which is very important for us to really look about. And I think with this very, with this, with these words, uh, may not be the words from an expert, you know, definitely, but certainly an observer. And I'm, I feel more, uh, by, I would like to conclude by saying that I feel more enlightened by Dr. Vinita's presentation. And of course, the discussion, uh, discussion, uh, uh, you know, issues being raised by the discussion by Dr. Onamika and uh, and uh, our friend Dr. Aditya, uh, something this very stimulating. And I think uh, Dr. Urjun uh, will be very happy uh, that uh, in the, the kind of objective that he has set is going to be fulfilled by this series of presentations that's being made. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ojun. Thank you. Dr. Thamba, are you able to hear me? Would you like to have some parting words? Yeah. Um, is it to me? Yes. Oh, oh well, um, no. Um, I had a, an interesting conversation with some of you. Um, so the, some of the questions that you raised and kind of comments and concerns, I take with me, think about, reflect in other forums. And this is how it uh, happens, right? We collectively learn together uh, and such uh, interactions and engages other ways. Usually I'm in the classroom talking to students. That is also quite uh, energizing experience. So uh, thank you for this invitation um, and uh, very interesting set of comments and suggestions. Thank you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, ma'am.
So with that, I would really like to uh, thank all of you for attending this uh, very pertinent discussion uh, under our series, The State of Development Discourses, Hashtag Cohesive Development with Professor Sunil Ray. And today's uh, discussion on critical evaluation of gender mainstreaming efforts by the state uh, by uh, Dr. Vinita Thampi, ma'am. Thank you so much. And uh, I would say it was really a detailed and uh, what we ought to de desire to have this extensive discussion. Uh, so I'm really thankful to our chair, Professor Sunil Ray. And uh, I, I must really say that uh, the discussions, discussions for today, uh, Dr. Simin Mehta, uh, Dr. Namika, and uh, Dr. Mohanty, uh, really added up to uh, a lot for, I, I think, those who would be watching the video now and uh, uh, even later. Uh, it was very stimulating and uh, I hope we would keep learning more and more and also learn uh, in future also by Dr. Thampi and uh, all of you. So with that, I wish you uh, best of health and please take care of yourself. Uh, have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Ray. Thank you, Vinita, ma'am. Thank you, Anamika, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Satan. Have a nice evening. Thank you, all. Bye. Bye, Anamika. Thank you. We should talk. Yeah. <laughs> I will share. I had two points, but I will take later. I will share number. I will exchange numbers. Sure, sure. Thank you.